Hello, this is your host, Carolyn, and on today's episode of Listen Up, we are continuing our deep dive into the organization of Columbia Wellness, which is also the sponsor of this podcast. I have Candace Crabb, who is a peer support specialist at Columbia Wellness. We are going to discuss what a peer is and how you can become one. We will get started after the message from our sponsor. Taking care of your mental health is just as important as your physical health. At Columbia Wellness, we offer behavior health care for all ages. From telehealth counseling to inpatient addiction care, we offer the level of support your mind needs. Don't wait to enjoy life again. Give us a call at 360-423-0203. At Columbia Wellness, your wellness is our passion. Welcome back. Before we get started, I have to do... I have to include a disclaimer for this podcast. We will be discussing things like substance use, abuse, and suicide. Today we will discuss mental health challenges and how they play into our daily lives. We will also be discussing recovery and hope. Hello, Candace. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to this podcast of Listen Up. I really appreciate you joining me today. First, I would like to introduce I would like you to introduce yourself, tell us about who you are and what position you hold at Columbia Wellness. Please include any fun facts about yourself. So as Carolyn said, my name is Candace Crabb and I am a certified peer counselor for Columbia Wellness. Um, a fun fact about me is my journey with Columbia Wellness actually started on our Cowlitz County Mobile Crisis Team. That's awesome. Did you enjoy working for the Mobile Crisis Team? I did. Okay. So please explain what a peer support specialist is. So a peer support specialist is a person who has walked the path of recovery from mental illness or substance abuse and is certified by the state of Washington and employed to assist others in their journeys of recovery. Awesome. And where can you find information on requirements in our state to become a peer? So that's actually super simple. All you're going to do is you're going to go into Google and you're going to type in Washington Peer Support Counselor or Washington Peer Support Specialist. There's lots of different names and it will pull up the HCA website, which will give you the requirements and all the things needed to go through the training along with the application to do the 40 hour in-person training. Okay. And so um, did you do your training locally or did you have to travel far? So for me at the time, it was virtual. So I did my training over Zoom and different platforms that the state used for us to go through that training. I believe now they are in person but can vary depending on where you get your training. Perfect. Um, So what led you to this career choice? You mentioned being on the mobile crisis team. What was the thing that clicked for you? So for a really long time, I struggled with substance abuse and mental health, and I've always had a passion for showing other people that there's a light at the end of the tunnel because sometimes it can feel so helpless and hopeless. My lived experience really stems from dealing with those suicidal ideations and that substance abuse and being able to empower and instill hope into other people and seeing them accomplish their goals. That's what I wanted. Okay. Has there any been any kind of like challenges that you've faced or stigma around being a peer support specialist? Oh, absolutely. There was quite a bit of stigma at first. A lot of it was, do you really want to work with someone who identifies with mental illness, right? That can always cause some some nervous feelings. Um, But one of the things that I love about my job is being able to break down those stigmas and those biases and show that even though you identify with substance abuse or mental illness, that recovery is possible and that you can even work in this field and help other individuals accomplish their goals in recovery. That sounds like a great um, 
profession to be in, especially if you have struggled with things yourself and you want to help other people who are currently struggling. Absolutely. So how do you instill hope, show respect, and build trust with your clients? I think that that varies person to person. For me, it's giving back your voice, your choice, your truth is your truth and empowering individuals to speak that um, and just be themselves, really step into that role of what they need to do for themselves and be the best version of themselves that they can be. Has there been any challenges that you've came up against? In what reference? So in in your job, in your position with trying to help people understand that there is hope or there is a light at the end of the tunnel, do you find it hard sometimes to be able to build trust with people who may have um, significant abuse in their history? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't ever expect to walk into an appointment with someone and have them think that I'm the bee's knees and the greatest thing ever, right? It takes some time to build that trust. And the key point in that for me is really letting them know that I'm not for everyone, right? So everyone has that person in their story or in their life that really helps them along in their journey. Being upfront and recognizing that and making sure that it's okay and that they know it's okay to speak up if they don't feel that connection is super important in that trust building process. It kind of goes back with the their voice and choice. If they feel like they have a choice in the matter, then it gives them the power to be able to speak up and identify like, hey, you're not the right fit. Is there someone else that we can talk to? Absolutely. I find that too also in my practice. Like I give them the opportunity to be able to, hey, if you need to change counselors, I'm okay with that because I'm not for everyone either. I get it. So I just wanted to expand a little bit on abuse trauma in a comfortable way. Um, so abuse, abuse can be verbal, physical, sexual, emotional, financial, and there's many, many more. Um, a lot of times when I have somebody that comes into my office and they say that they've struggled with abuse in their life, we'll do what's called an ACE study, which is an adverse childhood experience. And that covers sexual abuse, physical abuse, someone in the household going to jail, someone in the household who has committed suicide, your parents being abused, other issues in your youth that result in significant physical health issues, jail, substance use, and or death. And there's different ways that you can be abused. Um, You know, socioeconomical status, your environment, a natural disaster, being bullied at home or at school, sexual orientation, developmental delays, being, um, you know, autistic or ADHD, what they call neurodivergent, and all of the other ways society can gaslight you. So there's lots of different ways that people can experience abuse or trauma. Um, What are ways you help your participants self-advocate in the community? That's a good one, Carolyn. So for me, in my lived experience, I felt like my voice didn't matter, like I wasn't being heard, right? And going through that process, I lost a lot of my voice and my advocacy skills. So one of the things that I really do to support my participants in self-advocating in the community is empowering them, helping them see, supporting them see that their voice does matter and that it's worth hearing. Any resources we could increase in the community that you've noticed? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the most amazing resources we have right now would be Chai Rivers Recovery Cafe. We utilize them quite often for the activities that they have around grief support, healing, arts. Um, We could use more outlets like that in this community. There's not a lot of social spaces where you can just come together and do the work together. Okay. Um, And so tell me a little bit more about what recovery means to you. So recovery is unique to each individual. Recovery to me is just being the best version of yourself. Like I said earlier in the podcast, when you get to a point in your life or in your journey where you're proud of your accomplishments and where you're at, you have that um, strength and ability to be proud of yourself. Okay. That sounds like, you know, I mean... A little bit more struggles than what maybe a, a normal, whatever that is, person might go through. However, like the added layer of, of icing onto the cake of, yes, I have experienced this and I now have some good outcomes and I can share that with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. For me, it's being here right now in this room, being able to share this. That is a huge portion of what defines my recovery. I never would have thought that I'd be in the space that I'm in right now. And being able to be here and speak up and show others that it's possible is Absolutely. huge. I would 100% agree with that. Um, So what is the significance of working with your participants and is there any um, wins that you would like to expand on a little? So the significance to me in working with participants is the human to human experience and interaction. It's not therapy. You're allowed to come as you are, be as you are. And when I'm sitting on the other side of the desk or on the other side of the curb, wherever we may meet, I'm just as human as you are. We get to relate on those shared experiences. We get to talk about those accomplishments. And we also get to talk about those barriers and those challenges. And we can relate in a way that maybe your clinician might not be able to self-disclose. And that's what makes it really significant and important to me. Expand on the little wins. So any win is a win in my book. If you step outside and you have social anxiety, congratulations, you're a rock star. You killed it today. We celebrate all sorts of wins, no matter the shape, size, significance of them. Regardless of what you're doing, if you're taking those steps, it's a huge success. Absolutely. There are people that come into my office and it's like, oh, you got out of bed today? Good for you. That is definitely a win, especially if there's someone who suffers from significant depression and they just cannot get out of bed. Like, you got out of bed. Yay. Let's celebrate that. Absolutely. I might be a hot mess express, but I'm chugging along. (laughs) Right? You may not have taken a shower or brushed your hair, but hey, you got out of bed. that's a win. That's a win. Absolutely. So what are ways someone can find out if a peer service is available at an agency in Cowlitz County? So peer services are all over Washington and the United States. Now, how those peer services are utilized can vary agency to agency. So the best way to figure out if peer services are available to you would be to contact your clinician or the agency that you're with and ask them if they provide peer support services and how you can get connected with one. 
Absolutely. A peer is a peer from what I understand. However, each agency utilizes them in a different way. But from my understanding, um, based on the training, is that a peer looks at someone basically holistically. So like the whole entire person, what is it that they're needing? What what um, resources can they be co- connected to in the in the you know, community. Um, so regardless of the agency, a peer would also look at what challenges, barriers the participants are having and build on that. Can you speak a little bit to that? Absolutely. It's all about meeting them where they're at and serving their needs that they're in need of. So while it can vary, the common thing in peer support is really just meeting you where you're at and providing you with those services that you're in need of. And how that looks is up to you, really. It's up to you, your agency's standards, and what you're will- how far you're willing to go. Absolutely. So, um, also, I, I would love to advocate for more resources around peer um, that are peer focused or peer forward in their in this community. Like you mentioned, the Chai Recovery, Recovery Cafe. Um, that's a great one. But I I would hope that. The community would embrace the peer um, position and provide more services within this community. Absolutely. I actually just drove six hours away with one of my other peers that I work with to attend a conference for peer support. Um, Our resources are very limited in this community and what we can do, and I can't wait to see how it expands in the future. I would agree with that 100%. So if someone was to go to the peer training, um, is there job opportunities in this region for peers and how are peers utilized in the community? Absolutely. So here in the Longview, Kelso area, we are limited with agencies, right? We're not a big area, but the opportunities still exist. There's openings, there's positions for you. One of the cool things is when you go to apply to be a peer counselor and you fill out the application, if you have a confirmed job offer from an agency or you already work in the mental health or substance abuse field, you're a priority on that list to get that training and They assist with multiple accommodations if you're in need of them. Awesome. That's good to know. Why is my mic not working? Testing. Okay, so um, let's see here. What are some of the things you do for self-care at the end of your day or week? Uh, self-care. Well, that's a hard one for me. I am a mom as well, so my job never ends. Some of the things that I find self-care for me is downtime with my family, doing things with them that are intimate and going to create a bond, things that we have fun doing. That's self-care for me. Also, in my spare time, I enjoy yoga, meditation, music. Those are all things that I make time for and set aside as a priority for my because that's the most important part is you don't want to get compassion fatigued or burnt out in this kind of industry and it's really easy to get there. I would agree with that. I feel like a lot of um, things that you mentioned are really good like yoga and music and Meditation, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I was trying to remember. But yes, um, you know, I always frequently ask my clients, what are you doing for self-care? I reiterate, it is not selfish. Self-care is not selfish. We all need to do it. But sometimes, too, you know, 
we all don't have the finances to go out and do fancy things or fun things that we want to do. Self-care can also look like, you know, and I tell this to my my people that I work with, it can look like cutting your fingernails, man. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you brushed your hair? Taking time aside in your day to do the things to care for yourself, it doesn't have to cost money. It just has to involve time with yourself and reflection and caring for yourself. You know, and like we mentioned earlier with, uh, you know, you got out of bed um, and if you took a shower, that is an extra bonus. You you took care of yourself. You took a shower. Yay. Celebrate that. Okay. So, um, you know, we mentioned a little bit about abuse um, in one of our previous discussions. Um what is some of the ways that you've, or some of the, um, some of the abuse that you feel is like more significant with your peer, uh, your other peers that you um, work with? Generational trauma, abuse that's passed down. Um, that is one of the most prevalent things that I have experienced and worked with in this community, breaking free from habits and abusive traits that are passed down generation to generation. Sometimes you're not even aware that it's been passed down. Absolutely. I, I feel like I've seen a lot of that um, within our community, within the clients that I serve. Like, it, it seems like it's a very um, significant trend in people's lives that is for sure you know and the one thing that I tell them is you know your parents were only given the tools that they were given by their parents and so it just seems to pass on right on down each generation absolutely the same thing for self-harm behaviors suicidal ideations you may not think of those immediately when you think about abuse, but those are abusive tendencies towards ourselves. Those are also things that are passed down, learned behaviors and traits that people really have to break free from. That's something I had to break free from. Yep. And I always tell people, you know, 50% of people who've had family members who've committed suicide in one way, shape, or form pass that down onto their children, and their children are more than likely to have those self-harm behaviors and suicidal thoughts. Absolutely. And that's not something to feel guilty about either. If you're in that sort of environment or family, don't feel guilty about that. Educate, become aware, know the signs and the symptoms, be open to that conversation as awkward as it can be sometimes. Absolutely. And, um, you know, to add to that, if there is someone or, or yourself, anyone you know or yourself who is struggling with suicidal thoughts or actions, we have some numbers for you to call for help. We have the crisis line at Columbia Wellness, which is 360-425-6064. We have a toll-free wellness and recovery clinic number, which is one 353 9840 there is the National Suicide Line at 988, which is a text or call availability. Um, if you know anybody who is struggling with domestic violence, we have a 1-800-799-SAFE or visit thehotline.org where you can chat with an expert or text START to 88788. 
Thank you for listening to Listening Listen Up. I want to thank Candace for taking time out of her day for being a guest on this show. And thank you, Candace, for all you do in the community for our participants. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. I really appreciate you and wouldn't be able to support the people I serve if it wasn't for you being their peer. You are amazing at your job and what you do for our organization. 